right. Where are we at? Week five, week four of going through these five attributes, which Blake did a good job of setting us up. And um, let me just pray, and we're going to get going. Father, we thank you for a chance to gather this morning with uh, friends and men who want to be reminded along with me of what it is that you intend us to be. And we know that we cannot be that unless you help our hard hearts see what otherwise we cannot see. You are a good and patient God, and we're thankful for that. And I just pray you redeem our time together this morning, that we would spur each other on to love and good deeds. And we know, Father, that that's only going to happen when we get a better glimpse of who you are. So we love you and we thank you. Teach us this morning. Speak to us, Lord. Your servant is listening. Amen. Well, the way I ended that prayer is uh, one of my favorite things about my friend Kyle Kegler, who actually spoke here this weekend. Kyle said it's one of the ways he starts almost every day, either on his knees or when he opens his Bible up and his journal. He uh, has a number of different things that he reminds himself of, and I love that little phrase. He just always just says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. All of us would love to be the kind of men that God strongly supports. And uh, we have quoted here um, a small handful of verses in a disproportionate amount of all the other scripture that's in God's word um, over the 20 years that we've been gathering as, um, as men and women here seeking to serve the Lord in this city. But specifically when I'm with men, there's just a small number of verses that we have always shared, and they all go with the topic we're talking about this morning. We are talking about a biblical view of manhood. These are things, as I sat down as a man who wanted to um, do everything I could to get out of the way and help my sons think through what it is that the Lord wanted them to be when they fulfilled their calling as men. What's a man going to be? The scripture says that we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, um, 13 and 14, that we are to be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, to be strong, and let everything we do be done in love. So what's it mean to act like a man? That's what we're doing in this study. And there's a couple of verses, as I said, that I've always thought about. That, you know, I want to be the kind of man that God strongly supports because if God is for me, who can be against me? I love the statement, if, if God, uh, God plus one is the majority, always is. Some men will trust in horses and chariots, but the victory is the Lord's. And so I always um, believed when I came to know who God was that if I just aligned myself with him, that he was gonna allow me to do what he wanted me to do as his man. That didn't mean it would work out the way I wanted it to, but it would mean that I would have accomplished what the God who makes men and uses men wants me to accomplish, which is really all we should ask that we can do. One of those verses is in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, which says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth in order that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And it makes you wonder, what kind of man does God strongly support? And the answer I've already given you. Everything else is just fluff. It's the kind of person that says, your servant is listening. There are verses that uh, flow off our tongue a lot. One of them is Proverbs 3, um, 5, and 6, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then we go, lean not in your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and make your path straight. And we usually quote it like that, or at least I do. But when you think about how it starts, that the kind of person that the Lord's gonna strongly support is the person that just says, 
I'm going to trust in you with all my heart, which means I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, which means I'm not going to act like I'm the compendium of all wisdom. Now, men, we have a tendency to always want to do that because we somehow think if we act like we are not an expert in any given moment, if we're not impressive in any given moment, somehow our manhood moves away from us. And I will just say this, that um, it is typically true that the men that we respect the most are men that don't live as if they're self-infatuated. I love the statement that when a man forgets himself, he usually does something that everybody else remembers. But let's just have a little fun here before I get too started. There was a, a guy who used to write a long time ago for the Miami Herald, and, 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 and um, unless you were paying attention to these kind of things, you would have never heard his name, but some of us that are a little older will remember the name Dave Barry. You guys remember Dave Barry? He's just a, a, a humorist um, that would write. And this is an article that I literally cut out of the paper in November of 1997. So 22 years ago, Dave Barry wrote this. I'm gonna just have a little fun this morning just reading this. He just says, uh, last July, um, when a group of Danish researchers announced that men have an average of four billion more brain cells apiece than women do, a lot of us guys decided to celebrate this affirmation of our superior intelligence by spending a couple of months drinking beer and throwing furniture off the top of buildings to see what would happen to it. But now we return to find that, the many, that many women have been ridiculing the Danish discovery. And these women, he says, have been saying that, okay, maybe men have more brain cells, but it doesn't matter because they never use their brains to think about anything else besides sex. And then he goes on to make some um, hilarious little comment about some supposed cockpit conversation as a plane was going down. But then he says this. Uh, he always would take, in the midst of these little stories, where he would take facts that were really out there in the news, uh, and he would write these humorous looks that would just kind of teach us something as we just laugh. And, and he's talking about the fact that men have more brain cells um, than women, and just in terms of some of this study. But he just says, you know, sometimes women don't understand why men are quiet or why men do the things they do. And he says, it's because we're thinking. Now, this is really funny. This is why I want to get to this, because as guys, sometimes we think we've got to always have all the understanding in the world in order to impress other men. And he, he tells this story um, about a guy that uh, in July of 1997, it's a true story, it's a publicized incident that a couple from um, New Jersey, Kenilworth, New Jersey, they left their house, an elderly couple, to drive to a doctor's office that was 2.8 miles away with the man, of course, driving. It says, they were later located 24 hours later after having driven an eight, estimated 800 miles through an estimated three states. Because you know, they, they couldn't find this elderly couple. Where were they? Because they were supposed to drive less than three miles to go to the doctor's appointment. And then 24 hours later, 800 miles farther down the road, three states away, they found this couple. And he says, um, the Associated Press reported that they got there because the man refused to ask directions during the entire trip. And I love this about Dave Barry. He said, of course, you women are laughing about this. For years, you've made fun of men for refusing to ask directions. But did it ever occur to you that we have a reason? Did it ever occur to you that with our four billion extra brain cells, we might be thinking about something that you don't know? That something is this. Under the guy's rule of driving, conduct, if you're driving a car and you don't know how to get somewhere, you pull over to ask another guy how to get there, and he knows he is legally entitled to take your woman. <laughs> yes, he can just lean through the window and grab her. That's what the guy from Kenilworth, New Jersey knew. You women laughed at him, but he was just trying to protect his wife. Now, look, that, that story is completely irrelevant today because we've all got GPSs on our iPhones, 
And so the young generations go, what? Why, why do you ever ask anybody for directions? I asked Siri. But those of us that knew before, I mean, you can remember you get in a car, and I can remember you just ask, if you want to ask somebody for directions, if you had to pull into a gas station, which is what we used to do, and ask the guy who was there, hey, do you know how to get somewhere, right? You'd always feel like you were just somehow a failure and less than that man. Now, that's just a silly, old, outdated, almost irrelevant illustration, except that thing, that, that thing inside of us that we don't ever want to say help, it's called pride. And the scripture says God's opposed to the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. So you know what kind of man the Lord strongly supports? The answer is a humble man. When I was um, writing down what it was for my kids just to think about what it meant to be a godly man, I just said, hey, one of the things, you know, along with stepping up and, and being willing to speak out and to uh, stand strong is in the midst of these, and these aren't necessarily all prioritized, but they're just things that are true of godly men when I look in Scripture. They stay humble. You remain vigilant against pride. You um, get the log out of your eye. I'll talk about that in just a moment. And, and I defined humility um, this way. Actually, a guy named Peter Kreeft is the guy who first said it this way. It's been quoted many times, many others. But it's the, really the best definition of humility I've ever seen, which is um, don't think less of yourself. You just think of yourself less. And almost every time I'm in trouble, it's because I'm thinking of myself more. It's because I'm not trusting in the Lord. It's because um, I'm trying to exalt Todd. It's our job to humble ourselves, and it's God's job to exalt us. That's what it says. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. If we try and do God's job, which is to exalt ourselves, then God will do ours, which is make us humble. One of the things that great men are, are humble men. They clothe themselves in humility. That's what it says in the scripture. Right there before, those verses I quoted in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says, humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. Before that, it says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. In other words, just understand that there may be some guys that have lived here a little bit longer than you that maybe, hopefully, those men specifically um, have been individuals that have said, um, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And they've lived life long enough to know that when they say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, it goes well with them. They haven't just given lip service to Proverbs chapter three, verses five through six. They've lived as if God is the one that they should trust in. And it says, learn from these men. You know, one of the things that I've said here a lot, too, is, um, you know, I, I always, you know, our kids the little school they went to, the mascot, the elementary school, the mascot was the Panthers, and they had this thing called the Positive Panther Award where they would give out the, the, the kid in the classroom that was the most positive panther all week long um, and, or all, all month long, and uh, no Wagner kid ever got it. But uh, I always thought if I went back to first grade for a month, I think I would have won the Positive Panther Award. I think I would have been in that classroom and I would have understood, first of all, I would have read at least on a sixth grade level if I could go back right now. And my teacher would be just impressed. Like, we had to put this kid in the gifted and talented track. I mean, Todd is reading better than every other first grader in the class. Um, I think I would have never pushed to get in the front of the line when we went to lunch. I, would, I think I know, I know now they're never run out of cookies. 
I, I would have known that the cookies that probably some uh, mom brought to our classroom on a particular day probably weren't going to be the best cookies in the world anyway. And so if there was just um, two cookies left and there were three of us, I would always let those other two kids have those two cookies. And my teacher would have just marveled at me. It would have been like there was another adult in the classroom. If I went to first grade today, I think I could excel as a positive panther. And, and, I, and I think I even I could get him in the back of the room and go, okay, guys, look, I won three months in a row. I'm just going to tell you, here's the secret. Here's what you should do. You want to get a positive panther award? Here's how you should roll, right? And me and my buddies, okay, in the back of the classroom, if they listened to me and learned my ways as a 55-year-old in first grade, they would probably also win a positive panther award. And I just, as I thought about that, like I could kill first grade because I'm, you know, um, 40 years ahead of those guys or whatever the right uh, age number is, more than that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I, I do the math. I wasn't 15 in first grade either. <laughs> Subtract another nine. But I just thought, you know what? I mean, here I am, and that's what you do as a father all the time. You look at your 10-year-old kid, your 16-year-old kid. I look at my 23-year-old kid, and I go, man, just will you listen to me? Because I don't know everything, but I've got three decades ahead of you. And here's some things I've learned. And they look at me, and it's interesting, right? We, we all know, we've heard the statement that something about a kid that, that, you know, they think their dad learned so much in those years between 18 and 23, right? And they start to listen to you differently. But, man, all of us have been through it from 13 to 18. We're like, man, old man doesn't get it. You know, no one's ever had these feelings that I've had. No one's ever had this energy and this passion that's changed the world mindset. And if we would just listen to the elders around us, clothe ourselves in humility, be subject to wise men specifically, not because they're older in age, but the elder here are godly men. Now, if that's certainly true between me and a first grader, me and um, a 13-year-old, 15-year-old son, how much more true is it of me and an eternally perfect Heavenly Father. You think you could kill it as a 55-year-old? I do too. And yet every day, my resistance to him is infinitely more comparatively than my 15-year-old's resistance to me. And God just wants to help me. That's why it says here in 1 Peter chapter 5, he just says, listen, you younger men, listen to these wiser older men that have learned a few things. Okay, and all of you, Clothe yourself with humility. Put on humility. And, and, and it says it right there in the definition that I quoted from Peter Kreef that, that it doesn't mean think less of yourself. It means think of yourself less. It, it, it less. It's not low um, self-esteem. It's just low self-preoccupation. It's being the kind of guy that just says, look, Lord, I, I believe you've got my best interest in mind and I'm going to listen to you. So, um, Let's just talk about a few things that um, are, are certainly true if you want to be an individual. This really is, I mean, humility is the prince of all virtues. You, you won't be any other thing that God wants you to be if you're not this one thing. I, I think about um, what Jesus said, you know, when there was a, a bit of a, a controversy going on because there was this guy named John the Baptist who was in prison, and John the Baptist, who had been saying you know, before, hey, I'm not unworthy to tie the sandals of this man, Jesus, um, that 
he all of a sudden was being persecuted. He was in prison and he was like, man, this isn't working out the way I thought it was going to work out. So he sent some disciples to go and, and ask Jesus himself, hey, are you the Messiah that I get it right? I was just doing the best I could and I was pretty sure that you're the guy, but this doesn't look like you're the guy because of where I am. And, and Jesus responds to them in Matthew chapter 11. And this is what it says in verses 7 through 11. As these men uh, were going away or going back to tell John the Baptist that Jesus said, you tell him he got it right. This is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, hey, what did you guys go out in the wilderness to see? Why did you guys go follow him, this guy that just sent a question to me? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? No, you went out and saw somebody who stood strong. That was, that's one of the places that when I was thinking about what a godly man is, and, and you're going to hear what Jesus says about John the Baptist in a moment, um, godly men stand firm. They are not reeds shaken by the wind. We are not blown here and there by every wind or wave of doctrine, by the cultural zeitgeist, by the, by the ideas of the age. These are men who know what truth is, know who their God is, and know that they're there to serve him. And they stand firm. They stay strong. He says, no, would you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? This guy wasn't about his own comfort. Those who wear soft clothing, he says, are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And then he says this amazing verse, because you want to study John the Baptist because of this verse, Matthew eleven eleven. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, this is God incarnate. And he says, Of all the guys ever born of a woman, there has not ever arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wow. Now, he says something there right after that that would encourage us all. He just says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. In other words, hey, as great a man as John the Baptist was, he's not righteous enough to enter into the presence of God. Let me just tell you this, guys. One of the things that we are never called to do is to put together a resume that we can be proud of. Um, proud enough enough to submit it to God and just say, here you go. Your servant listened to your voice and did what you said. And if that ain't good enough, well, that's all I got. no. We want to be individuals who, when we show up, we know that we could never be great enough, even if we were a, a reed not shaken by the wind and a prophet and tried to do everything we could to point people to Jesus, there's gonna be plenty of us, plenty in us that is not what Jesus says we should be, which is called sin, which separates us from God. And so what he's saying is, listen, in terms of men that are great, John the Baptist is setting the mark, but even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. In other words, the righteousness that clothes you with with Christ is always gonna make you more in God's eyes than any righteous things you can attain to. It should create in you a deep humility. Now I'm gonna tell you a little bit about why I think Jesus said this about John the Baptist. Part of it is this sovereignty, okay, is that God chose him to be the one that, as he says there in verse 10, was written about who was the messenger that was gonna prepare the way for Jesus. So it's just a good note for me that, that if you're a guy that does everything you can to point others to Christ and not make yourself the point, that that's a good step towards greatness. I mean, I, I love that about John the Baptist. He said, I am not the point, I am the pointer. And that really is true of all of us. I really think what, what, what um, lest I forget it, what, what I think made John so great is when his disciples came to him and said, hey, a lot of guys are leaving us and they're starting to follow Jesus. 
Jesus is actually baptizing people himself. You're John the Baptist. That's just Jesus the carpenter, and he's baptizing. He's taking your position. John responds to his um, disciples, and he says this. He just says, hey, listen, I must decrease. He must increase. It's John chapter 3, verse 30. And I think doing what God created you to do and being a person who constantly says, I must decrease, he must increase, and that's just a verse that is in, ter in terms of, of renown. That's a verse that's good for us in terms of how we live. I mean, I can't tell you how many times John 3.30 crosses my heart every day when I'm trying to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm trying to lean less on my understanding. I'm trying to decrease that he might increase. But you remember what Jesus said about um, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's, it, it's just um, appropriate as we're talking about humility, guys, and I want the gospel to be very clear when we're talking about um, what it means to be a man because God makes great men. And the only way great men are going to be great, the only way the, the, the glory is going to be restored, right? I said it at the very beginning. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whenever we live in a way that's inconsistent with what God designed for us, what God intends to rest on us as image bearers is diminished. We become less of the men that God wants us to be, and we look a little bit more like hell than heaven, and it's a little bit more horrifying for those that are under our leadership. And so humility starts with just knowing who we are. There's a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 that, that really hearkens itself to this idea that the, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than any righteousness that men can attain to. I love the statement that saints agree that they are sinners. Only sinners think they're saints. Jesus tells a story about that in Luke 18. He says, he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. And here it comes. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like all those other people. You ever thought that? He goes on to say, not just who those other people are, but the things that he does that he thinks makes him righteous. But then there was one of these other people that was not far from him, in verse 13, standing some distance away. And he was unwilling even to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And then Jesus says these amazing words, I tell you that that man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see that idea showing up a few times in Scripture? Yeah, because I need to keep reading it. It's our job to humble ourselves. It's God's job to exalt us. If we try and do God's job, he will do ours. Man, let me just say this to you. You can't stay humble if you haven't become humble. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not low self-esteem. It's low self-preoccupation. It's having a right estimate of self. And when it comes to the righteousness of God, we all need to know that we fall short, every single one of us. And we need to realize who God is and what he's done for us. Um, you want to know what kind of man God strongly supports? You can find it in Isaiah chapter 66. You're going to see how this whole 
conversation we're having this morning is going to keep looping around to the same idea. Remember how I started? God, speak to us. Your servant is listening. I want to stop and ask you for directions. And I want the world to know. By the way, some of you guys um, have women that you're living with or married, specifically married to, that, um, that have been in Bible study fellowship for years and you're just totally intimidated and you have no idea how to be the spiritual leader in your home. You've never memorized scripture. We know for a fact that there's a number of you that the very first time you've ever memorized scripture has been in these last few weeks that we're in here. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And, and by the grace of God, some of us have been activated by the kindness of God to begin to pursue him a little bit earlier than you. And if we are God's men, we're not going to look at you and go, what have you been doing? We're going to say, welcome, man. Welcome. Welcome to the corner of the first grade classroom. It's called Earth. And let us tell you what we've learned from our Father. And we want you to start to get a little positive panther world going in your family. So listen. We're not better than you. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread at the feet of our king. And we're so glad you're here. But we've been listening, some of us, a little bit longer. And so that's why you're to be subject to those who are a little older in the faith than you. And all of us have got to continually clothe ourselves in humility. Men, do you want to be a great spiritual leader in your family? You don't have to know more Bible than your wife. You don't got to go five years ahead of her in Bible study fellowship. This is spiritual leadership. I'm not really sure what God would have us do in this moment, but I'm not going to move until I am sure. Sweetie, let's just seek God's face together. And when we're done praying, and I'm just going to lead us right now, God, I'm, I'm, I'm a chump, I'm a man, I'm an insecurity, I want to always act like I'm confident, but Lord, there's no more confident man than a man that seeks you. Will you help me to deal with this crisis, this debt, this sickness, this anger between us, this dysfunction? Would you help me begin to see what I've got going on that's making it hard for my family to follow me? Lord, tell me what a man in my spot would do so that I can be the man that you want in this spot. That's a spiritual leader. He'll look at his wife and say, sweetie, do you have any idea? In all your Bible study fellowship studying, in all your Watermark Women's Bible studies, do you have any idea what scriptures are relevant to us? Let's widen the circle. Let's get men and women who won't tell us what they think, but will counsel us biblically. Let's live authentically. Let's clothe ourselves in humility and just say, hey, as I look at my home as a man who wants the mark of God to be on it, I'm not sure I see the mark of God on it. Can you help us bring more of Jesus in? That's a spiritual leader. He just says, we're not going anywhere until we know what God wants us to do. You don't need any information. All you need is humility. And then you just listen. This is what it says in Isaiah 66. This says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you can build for me? I don't need anything from you. Where is this place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came to being, declares the Lord. You want to worship me? Here's what he says. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Another prophet, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, but he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. But to love justice and to do kindness and to walk humbly with the Lord. Do you know why we, we, we um, love justice and do kindness? Because that's what God has men who tremble at his word do. Men who are humble are always just. 
not self-serving. And they're always filled with the agape, hesed, loving kindness of God. That's all he requires. Hey, Jesus, there's a lot of laws. What's the greatest commandment? You know what the greatest commandment is? Just know that I'm, I'm your loving father, man, and just seek me. Just listen to me, son, and I will strongly support you. And by the way, if you listen to me, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love your neighbor as yourself on these two laws. Love God, love others. Hang all the, all the laws and all the prophets. They're all derivatives of that. This is not brain surgery, man. It is just constantly self-mortification. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. God, I, I, guys, I am asking you to die. It takes a humble man to say, it's no longer about me. It's not my, this is not my MO. This is not my, this is not my world. This is God's world, and I am his servant. You want to be a man God strongly supports? Then just every chance, the rest of the day, go, I must decrease, you must increase. I have no idea what to do. Call the guys in your summer group, text, guys, I'm stuck. How would you handle this? I just lost my job. I just got somebody promoted over me that I think has been backstabbing. What do I do? God's got that covered every time. What do I do? Pray for me. If I don't put on humility, I'm gonna put on my flesh. And when I put on my flesh, it's not gonna go well. So humble men, guys, are vigilant against pride. They get the log out of their eye. They don't think less of themselves. They think of themselves less. And I will tell you, humble men are men that experience, which by the grace of God, I'm experiencing. Last year in June of uh, 2018, I did a series just called How to Be Rich. You remember that series? I don't know if you do. We go back and listen to it. And I just said, man, I am rich. And the reason I am rich, and I'm not talking about material prosperity. If I told you how much resource I had, it would probably scare you and sound irresponsible. But I'm rich because of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 which says the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And so just circle up with me in the back of this little first life classroom that we only get to live once. And I'm just telling you that there is, by the kindness of God, life indeed that I've experienced. There is a sense of honor because of the way that I have conducted myself as I've said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I haven't done it perfectly, man. And every time I don't, it's painful for my family and for me and for those that are around me. But I can tell you that by and large, the heavy direction of my life has been to humbly say, I'm gonna trust you, not me. I'm gonna decrease, you're gonna increase. More Jesus, less time. And I can tell you that that principle in Proverbs 22.4 is true. Humble men follow their Lord. They don't just give lip service to a Savior. Can I tell you why you're not experiencing the life God wants for you? Because you've maybe done what the guy in Luke 18 did. You've gone, you know what? Um, Only saints agree they're sinners. I'm a sinner. And Jesus is my Savior. But, but, But you're not humble. You're humble enough to admit that you're, that you're ruining your life and you don't live the way God wants you to live and you'll take Jesus as a savior, but you don't realize that Jesus doesn't just offer himself as a savior. He is Lord and savior and you can't have 50% of him. 
The problem with America and churches is we've got a lot of guys who have even finally showed up at church and have realized they need a Savior, but they don't realize that their Savior is Lord. Humble men follow their Lord and don't just give lip service to their Savior. Hey guys, do you tremble at his word? Do you know that he's a king? Are you convinced of who Jesus is and not just who you are? It's good that you've been broken. It's good that you've been humbled. It's good that you know that you're not perfect, but do you know who he is? Are you acting like you know who he is? Humble men don't just follow their Lord and, and not give lip service to their Savior. Humble men see their faults more than others' failures. I'll just do this really quickly because I'm just trying to get you guys started in your conversation. I've had so many guys come to me over the years and go, would you, would you just tell my wife, right? Would you just, would you just, she doesn't know what the word submit means, man. This woman doesn't respect me. She doesn't follow me. Right? And, and I mean, how many times do we do that, right? We just come in and we go, man, the, we got a problem in our relationship. And if she would just act differently, we wouldn't have a problem in the relationship. And it's not just with women, it's with one another. It's why it's written right there in our little definition of humility that, that we get the log out of our own eye. We're vigilant against pride. We own 100% of our 2%. And frankly, it's usually 98% of our 100%. Or 100% of our 98%. I, I, I tell guys all the time, man, hey, listen, let me just tell you why she won't submit to you because probably I'm, you're not submitting to the Father. I've never seen a woman, ever seen a woman come into my office and go, I'm leaving this guy. He does nothing but clothe himself in humility. This guy, he does nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, he is always considering me as more important than himself. You want me to follow this guy? This guy who pours himself out as a drink offering for me, who cherishes me and honors me, this guy who serves me and treats me like a queen, you want me to treat the guy who treats me like a queen, like a king, you're out of your mind. I've never seen it. Never seen it. I've never seen a woman come in and go, yeah, he does all those things, but I drive a Buick. You want me to serve that guy? No. Man, I've had all kinds of women in really nice cars and really big houses just look at me and go, hey. She's got a responsibility too, but I'm talking to men. They see their faults more than others' failures, and all they do is seek more of Jesus. Humble men follow their Lord and don't just give lip service to a Savior. Humble men see their faults more than others' failures. It's why Psalm 141 verse 5 is one of the key verses in this. Let the righteous smite me in kindness. Reprove me. That's why we're here as guys. We're just going, hey, our job is to help men be men. We are on a team. The team is God's men on earth. And so when there are guys that aren't playing ball the way we're supposed to play ball, as we try and go out and represent our king, it's our job to lovingly go and just say, hey, I think you can excel still more here. It is like oil upon my head. Don't let me refuse it, the scripture says. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. That's a verse for men. Well, I'm not really sure I understand that, Todd. Yes, you do. God says you're stupid. 
literally the word stupid, it comes to Latin stupidus. It's, it's really one of those words. You just put an us in the end. It's the Latin word. And it literally means numbskull, right? Like, bro, if you don't take the admonishment of men and let the righteous smite you in kindness, you got a thick, numb, frozen head. You're stupid. You don't need to go to seminary to understand Proverbs 12.1. Humble men see their faults more than others' failures. And just lastly, I'll just let you guys go after this, is that um, they serve and they don't mind being treated like servants. That's what humble men do. They don't expect to be treated like a king when they call themselves servants, right? The, the true test of being a great servant is that when you're treated like one, you don't resent it. Can I just, I'll, I'll just close with this story. I mean, there's so much more I would love to do if I had some time, but... Um, you know, I'll just close with a story that's really kind of marked my life, and I pray that you, um, you know, would would be encouraged by it in some ways. It was a story when I was um, uh, a young man. I was in leadership at a place called Canacuck, and it was a night off. I got back, and the whole camp was over there in one um, little room, and uh, as, as it can often happen, the Ozarks, a huge storm came blowing in, and this huge storm, uh, when it would come in, we'd always have to go to the different uh, places and, and put the flaps down because it would just flood these places, specifically this one place where the guys would be and there was wrestling mats that were very expensive and it was the job of, of leaders in the camp whenever these storms would come to make sure the flaps were down. We put them down every night because storms would come up in the middle of the night. I got in from a night off and the whole camp was, was over in this one spot singing and having a big time and laughing and it was a, a storm. I mean, it started to really rain and then it was just pouring and I looked and I saw this one room that was just getting pounded. And so I ran over there and I just started letting the flaps down. Okay, so now the flaps were down. It was my night off. And I thought, I'm gonna go get some of the guys that worked for me, that were underneath me. And I'm gonna say, get your butt over there and clean all that water up to those mats before they're ruined. And um, I, I started to uh, think about that. And I go, no, they're over there with the kids right now. And so I just said, I'll take care of it. And so I went and I got... Um, a bucket and a mop. Now, when you're dealing with a section uh, uh, that's probably as big as, as this right here, it's like, you know, I'd say it was 20 yards by 40 yards. That's a lot of uh, water. And it was literally water was all across the inside of this room right there. And I got one mop and one little mop bucket. And so I'm in there and I'm mopping. And uh, you can imagine what happens when the storm leaves and it's hot. It's in the summer. It gets really humid in there. And I hear I'm in there and I'm a little bit like, gosh, why am I doing this on my night off? And somebody else should be doing this. It's their job. And I'm mopping and I'm dumping and I'm mopping and I'm squeezing it out. And I'm dumping the water and all this different stuff. And then I hear all of camp let out and people are walking by. And I'm thinking, they don't even know I'm in here. They don't even know that the flaps weren't down. And I started to think, you know what, it's hot in here anyway. I probably ought to put the flaps up just to get some air blowing through here, which will cool it. But as I did that, I realized the reason I wanted the flaps up is because I wanted people to see that me on my night off was in there being a servant. And not because I wanted air to blow through there. I wanted people to know what I was doing. And I can remember God said, hey, Todd, it might not be a bad idea to put the flaps up to get some air moving in here and maybe to go get some guys when they're done with the kids and have them help you. But I got a question for you. Are you willing to serve me with the flaps down? Or do you always want the flaps up so everybody can see what you do for me? Because I want to know who you're serving and why you're serving. And that little metaphor for me 
has served me well in my life. Because I want to tell you something. I believe that God is not so unkind as to forget the love which I have shown towards his name and having ministered to and is still ministering, ministering to the saints. But I want to be a guy that intentionally looks for opportunities to serve with the flaps down. I'm not the point. I'm the pointer. And I don't need people to see what I'm doing. I just need to know that what I'm doing is what needs to be done. Because I know my king, and I know he does not forget kindness, which we have shown, and love, which we have shown towards his name. And I'm betting on it. And so, man, let's serve with the flaps down. Let's not tell everybody what we're doing all the time, but let's grab other guys to do it with us. Eventually, some guys did come in, and they did help me clean that thing up. But what God did that night in that storm was just to test me. I need men to reprove me. I need men to help me. And I need to clothe myself in humility all the time and be vigilant against pride so I can be his man. Father, I pray that we would be men that would serve with the flaps down, that would clothe ourselves in humility, that would... Follow our Lord and not just call you our Savior. Help us not to go to a Bible study on Thursday and charge out of here like we can now get after it. I pray throughout the rest of this day we would decrease and you would increase. I pray the women and the children in our lives, the co-workers, the employees and employers in our life would see us serve and not mind being treated like servants. We're not kings. We want our lives to be so radically other-centered that people go, what are you doing? Who are you? And we can say, hey, I'm a servant of Christ. And then our lives would point to the fact that we know something they don't know, and that is that the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And so, Lord, help us to experience the richness of life that comes in restoring the glory that sin has consumed. We thank you that when we trust in you as our Savior, you clothe us in a righteousness that makes us better than any man that ever lived. But we want to be, among men born of women, great men. And we know we will be that when we decrease and you increase. So help us to be men that do reprove one another in kindness. And let us be men that don't refuse it when we are reproved. Let it be oil upon our head that refreshes us and makes us more of who you want us to be. Keep us humble, Lord, for your glory. Let us get the log out of our eye. Let us be vigilant against pride. Let Jesus be our king. In his name we pray.